My name is Bobby Rue, and I'm the founder of the Terra Hot Bathroom Club. Now right, right this way. Sorry about the mess, I don't like to spend a lot of time at my casa. That's why they call me Bobby Rue. I'm always hopping around. <laughs> I don't know how long you got to talk to me, but make it quick, because I have a very busy schedule. 24 hours a day, I'm feeling good all the time. Fortunately for you, I like talking about the bathroom club about as much as I don't like washing my hands. So let's get started. The year is 1979. In order to explain the Terra Hot Bathroom Club, I gotta explain some stuff about myself. See, I'm a real alley cat. Meow. Real stray dog. I like to wander. I like to poke around. Maybe sometimes I get my little nose a little dirty. I have a reputation around town. The only person that really knows me from way back is Donna. My name is Donna Dollop, and I'm a member of the Terra Hot Bathroom Club. So listen, I met Bobby Rue in the late 70s. A lady isn't afraid to tell people her real age. I'm <clears throat> years old, and I'll tell anybody. You can't tell from me now. I'm a mess now. But I was hot to trot back then. Head to toe, Jordash. Me and my girlfriends used to cut a little slit into our Jordash jeans, right where the leg and the butt meet up, so a little of our butts would come out when we walked. We tried to make it look like an accident, but it really drove guys nuts back then. So Bobby walks up to me. He says, excuse me, miss. I think some other people might be too embarrassed to tell you this, but a little of your butt is poking out of your jeans. Yeah, I told her butt was out. In slightly more eloquent terms, she turned to me and said, Thanks, they're Jordashes. So I kind of just smile, lick my mustache, and say, Oh yeah, we're going to get along just fine. Bobby had an insanely thin mustache at the time. It was so thin, you had to look at him for like four seconds before you even saw it. But after you saw that mustache, it's all you could look at. To call it a pencil mustache would do it no justice. It was like 2D. It's like the entirety of his upper lip was a little strip of felt. I never kissed him, but other girls would tell me it was like if a human had a small cat's tongue above their mouth. Like abrasive. Like if you were dating Bobby, you'd get these little rug burns all over your face. Again, I never dated him. At that point, me and Donna were scrooging up and down the block, putting on shows in public parks. We were beach whales lying down and spraying our salt water over the block. Yeah, me and Donna were real close. She was my right-hand Sliz. Me and her made room stink together. One time we did it in a car while I was being towed. The car was neither of ours. Bobby started getting into trouble because, well, local husbands started putting two and two together. Their wives would have all these little rug burns all over their mouth from his little mustache. And it was a lot of wives, and the husbands started teaming up to find him. I mean, I don't think you have to mention that if we're just talking about the bathroom club and the Mensa thing. Yeah, I know what she's talking about. No, I don't want to talk about it. 
These husbands were very well coordinated. They ran multiple cars of two guys each, and they scoped out different local places that Bobby might be at all times. Public parks, dive bars, under bridges, under buildings, gravel lots, gravel roads, dumps, shipwrecks, ruins, gas station parking lots, grocery store parking lots, grocery stores, business schools, night schools. I mean, it was hard. He was all over the place. One time he called me and I had to go down to the bay and fish him out of a crab trap. What were you doing in the bay, I asked. How'd you get in the crab trap? He wouldn't tell me. I like to shine in the nighttime. I'll leave it at that. I think in 79 when this all went down, that group of husbands was pretty big. We're talking 18 to 20 guys, I think. It was like a legit organization. I think they rented office space. They had a name too. Uh, What were they called? Uh, right, right here. My name is Stu Bat, and I'm the founder of the Terra Hot Screaming Eagles. We came up with the name because, uh, well, what else are you gonna call us, you know? Trent got us some gear, and we got a map of the city, and it wasn't gonna fit in the garage, so we pulled some money and rented a spot. They asked for a name. Uh, what are you supposed to say? We're the, we're the shamed men. We're the. We're the, they were the cuckolds. Right now, granted, cuckold is a pretty politically powerful word, but back then all it meant was that your wife was letting other guys get it. So Terry, he, he died a couple years back, but he just told the guy, Screaming Eagles. The agent said, what? And I repeated him. I said, we are the Terra Hot Screaming Eagles. And from that day forward, that's what we called ourselves. Oh... We, we never, we never talked about it because we all knew we could, the, the, the pain, we couldn't face the pain. My, my, my wife cheated on me with Bobby Rue while I was having a blue moon tap installed in my basement bar. I'd been saving months for that. She knew how important that was to me. I was being tailed as I was tailing, getting tailed. Not sure if the last one landed or not, so I'll elaborate. I'm fucking all these women, you know? That's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. I've been alluding to it a lot. It didn't take long to figure out that Bobby Rue would spend hours a day in public bathrooms. We'd root him out of, let's say, a, a Kroger bathroom, and he'd hit the bricks and we'd lose him. Later on, we'd find him in a bathroom in the park. <laughs> it was a real bad time for me. I don't know what they would do if they found me. They found all my good spots. They knew all the public parks I hung out at, under bridges, that kind of stuff. I couldn't go creep around my favorite shipwrecks anymore. The shipwreck thing was a was a real big surprise. There's not a lot of water around here. This is Indiana we're talking about. We ran him out of his apartment and then we found out he was living in like a like a like a steamboat. Like a Mark Twain-style wrecked-up steamboat on the Wabash River. Yeah, when we went inside, we found he had a hot plate and a big TV and a... and a big, stiff towel pitched up in the corner. I'm talking very stiff. One of the guys said he saw a bird land on the towel and immediately died. He kept trying to get me to some shipwreck for a few weeks. Said he had something purple and hard to show me. 
I said, if your penis is purple, you should go to the doctor. He swore up and down that he wasn't talking about his penis. He was talking about something else. So I go over to the shipwreck and he showed me his penis and it was purple. So I drove him to the hospital. We thought about smashing the place up, but you know, he was living in a shipwreck. If we broke something, we might accidentally make the place cleaner. I thought, this is crazy. His penis is really sick, but he's trying to pretend it's fine, right? I guess the river water had gotten into his penis and something in there really liked the environment that his penis was in and it made its home there. I was born with a large urethra. It had been mostly a blessing before the river water incident. I could nut really fast because it was so wide, like a frosting pipette. I just want the listeners to know that, uh, (laughs) well, I'm smiling right now. I'm smiling real hard. While we were still kicking around the shipwreck, one of the screaming eagles who worked at the hospital gave us a call and told us he was there. We all headed over, but we didn't know what we would do when we found him. We knew we didn't want to kill him, but we didn't just want to yell at him either. We argued about it the entire drive over. I mean, our ideas ran the gamut from Indian burns to, you know, ch- chopping his legs up. Just, just chopping them up. I was starting to get worried about what we were going to do to this guy, you know? All of a sudden, we hear this big commotion in the lobby. Chop his legs up! Chop his legs up! I do not recall chanting that, but uh, it it was all a blur. Uh, I I guess that's what we said a lot. They were pushing doctors, nurses out of the way, flipping sick old guys out of wheelchairs. They were really amped up. When I heard them, you know, I... I know I was going to meet my fate. I accepted death. I I really did. I'd been a rooster all my life, and now I guess it was time for chickens to come home and roost. Bobby is useless at this point. He's monologuing to himself, mumbling shit like, going to the great big parking lot in the sky. He called himself a used condom, making its last rotation around the toilet bowl before being flushed into hell. Yeah, I was ready to meet my maker. Look him in the eyes and tell him thank you for creating a world where I constantly felt good all the time and I I got everything I wanted. And that felt good too. And every single day I woke up and did whatever I had to do to feel good immediately and it always worked. And I always felt good. And then I died. I do have a distinct memory that, well... The plan as it was when we saw Bobby Roo lying in the hospital bed. And just bear with me, this wasn't my plan, you know. We had just got so worked up. You know, and, and honestly, we had all bonded so much as men trying to find this guy. That, uh, yeah. I was talking about, you know, cooking him up on a flat top grill and, uh, chopping the leg meat with, from him with, uh, you know, the dual wielding turners, uh, you know, the, the, the flat top grill spatulas. And uh, chopping his legs up and cooked them like they were a big Philly cheesesteak-style meat. A room faced the elevators. So I heard the rabble, saw the elevator ding, and I saw, easily, like 20 guys walking straight towards us. They were taking their hands and imitating the motion of, like, chopping something up really finely. They were talking about cooking him. And a few were talking about eating him after they had cooked him. And I know that was not a logical thought, not because Bobby didn't deserve to die. I mean, 
he kind of does not for anything in you know in specific just generally as a person it's like you know if he did die it'd be like oh well you know just one of those things i made eye contact with him i'll never forget it there was just nothing in his eyes no fear no peace just present it's like when you make eye contact with a dog that is going to the bathroom and i just i start walking towards him and then just Bang, in a split second, someone flipped the hospital bed, and him and that woman, I I don't know who she was, but she had denim earrings. Like, seriously, like hoop earrings made out of denim. But him and her go tumbling out of that window, and all hell breaks loose. I didn't know if he was dead or not, but, you know, there I was, a random suburban dad, and I was prepared to hunt this man, chop his legs up on a flat stovetop, and, uh... I was mentally and physically prepared to eat his legs. And that's, that's not who I wanted to be. So I left the Terra hot screaming eagles. So yeah, sorry, that was the last time I saw Bobby Rowe. <laughs> I'm Pliny. Nobody ever says my last name, and if anybody, you know, says my last name, uh, if nobody knows my last name, then I guess it ain't my name, right? So it's just Pliny. Because if it was my name, people would be calling me by it. You see what I'm saying? So just Pliny is fine. Uh, all you need to know about me really is that, you know, I guess I'm a tie-dye shirt kind of guy. I met Bobby Rue a few years prior. I used to sell herbs de provence as fake weed down at the over under club it was called the over under club because it was over the dump but under the fish cannery bobby rue used to come there wearing a red velvet blazer and a kangol hat and we he would pretend to have no feeling in his right hand so he could talk women into letting him touch them you know a guy like me (laughs) look at me i don't think that line would work but you know some guys just got it That was another reason why they call me Bobby Rue that I forgot to mention. The Kangol hat. Like a kangaroo, Bobby Rue. That's why I said hopping around earlier. (laughs) I just wanted to make that clear because you guys also didn't get my slick little saying where I alluded to having sex with all the women. I know they're subtle, but still, you guys need to sharpen up. Pliny is the type of guy who just kind of seems like you imagined him. Like, he seems, by all accounts, to be an imaginary person. He would just show up places out of nowhere. He would disappear while you were having a conversation with him. One time, he knocked on my door at 3 a.m. He said, follow me and all your wildest dreams will come true. I went back to bed. I thought I was dreaming still, and I was like, you know, trying to wake up. That's just the vibe he puts out there. Smells exactly like the ocean. And the closest ocean is like 2,000 miles away. I owed Bobby one. Uh, One time, some frat kids came to the over-under club. You know, they were upset that I had sold them a uh, regional culinary herb blend instead of the high-quality marijuana that I had promised them. You know, they showed up with uh, violence in their eyes. Bobby made everything cool, just chilled those guys right out. Just a couple kids out looking for a good time. I can relate to that. 
I intercepted them and told them they shouldn't be out here chasing the green, but, uh, the pink. I told them me and them were going bird-dogging down at the Pink Canary Gentleman's Club. That smoothed out those roosters' ruffled feathers right quick. I was actually working at the Pink Canary at the time. Not as a stripper, but I was bartending. They wouldn't let me strip or give lap dances anymore because they said I did too much stuff for free and it made the other girls mad. Bobby showed up with these three frat kids. He told me to set them up with a free dance with the girls while he went out back and rifled through their cars and bags and stuff. So at the time, Bobby was at the hospital. I was at the hospital too. That was um, just a coincidence. I wasn't sick though. The hospital, it was Monsanto International Airport and Hospital was currently being renovated. So they had all those garbage tubes hooked up to the windows. You know, and while I may be a weird old man, I know that about myself, I'm still plenty shifty and spindly and I can climb real good. So I was shooting up these trash chutes all the time. Like if I wanted food or some medicine, clothes, scrubs, whatever I wanted really, I'd just, I'd shoot up those tubes. At one point I was going all up and down the tubes. I was wearing a lab coat and a stethoscope and you know, I even talked to a few patients, you know. So I heard a commotion. They started talking about chopping up a guy, right? (laughs) Yeah, I only knew of one guy at the hospital slash airport that they could have been talking about. Uh, Bobby Rue is just the kind of guy, you know, I got no problem with them personally, but a lot of other people tend to want to chop them up. What can you say? You know, so when they close in, I popped out of the chute. I grabbed his hospital bed. I tipped him over down into the chute and I, you know, I threw Donna in there too. I figured, yeah, you know, they might die on impact, you know, you know, but I guess I didn't think about that part actually at the time. I actually do remember thinking that, you know, this always worked in cartoons at the time. You know, I don't want to uh, implicate myself in a crime, but uh, on that day, my shirt was very (laughs) tie-dyed, if you catch my drift. So, uh, we're all going tumbling down this big trash tube, just like all elbows and assholes flaying around, and we all, you know, fumble into a big pile all laying on top of each other in a big uh, like construction sized garbage can you know with like uh, filled to the brim with you know needles and medical waste and we all started laughing laughing real hard I kind of consider that to be the very first meeting of the Terra Hot Bathroom Club So we crawled out of the medical waste and we went into action mode. See, what you don't get is that we thought they were still tracking us at that time. Bobby really thought they were going to kill him, and Pliny's reputation was pretty bad and he had a lot of enemies. And I had my own troubles in the community at the time. We all just sort of collaborated. Uh, We had this big wide ruled notebook between us where we had like maps, you know, schedules and power rankings, all of different public bathrooms in the area. You know, we met constantly and we scoped out new bathrooms to use, to change in, masturbate in, that kind of thing. At the time, you know, I was on the run. Pliny had sold enough fake weed that nobody would even let him into their establishment. And Donna had been kicked out of most retail stores in Terre Haute. I had 
had uh, some disagreements with some people. And some people can be so dramatic and love to, you know, exercise what little pitiful power they have. It's all just interpersonal stuff and jealousy. I once saw Donna in a Jordache outlet store on Wabash, and she was just grilling this girl. I don't know what her for, what for, but she was pointing her finger in this lady's face, and she was just yelling, how dare you, how dare you, and the woman was just speechless. Like, her mouth was wide open, you know. So Donna just keeps shoving her finger in that woman's face, you know, until her finger was actually in this woman's mouth. And even then she doesn't stop. She starts leaning forward. You know, I'm going to make your life a living hell. You know how much money I spend here. Do you think I'll let anyone talk to me like that? You know, stuff like that. And while leaning forward, she puts her finger down the woman's throat a little bit. So I guess it hit something. Something happened. <laughs> she ends up puking everywhere. It turns out the lady didn't even work there. She didn't even speak English. And the radio was on in the store and Donna had heard the disc jockey on the radio say that the next song was by the band Supertramp. And in her head, you know, she just automatically assumed she had heard the word and the person saying it was insulting her. And she just flipped out on the nearest person. It's in my blood, you know. I got Italian blood and Irish. A little bit of Catalonian and um, a little Greek, too. I basically got all the angriest races, so... You know, it's that. It's not my fault. Donna liked to blow off a little steam by going into really small boutique stores. They always hire pretty little things to work those places. Little songbirds with flowers in their hair and in pleated skirts. You know the type. Donna would demolish those women. <laughs> She'd walk in, <laughs> browse for a bit, and then ask to use the bathroom. Of course, they didn't have a public bathroom, so, well, that's when the real magic happens. Like, excuse me? No public bathroom? Excuse me, miss, do you piss? Do you shit? When you have to shit, where do you go? Because that'll be fine for me, too. Do you just shit on the floor? Is that what you do? You shit on the floor and you pick it up and you throw it in the trash? No? So you can either walk with me to the trash so I can see your shit in it, or you walk me to the toilet like a human being. One time a uh, lady sarcastically told Donna, yeah, I shit on the floor. And uh, you know what? To her credit, Donna called her bluff. She shit on the floor. It was, uh, I think it was a guest jeans store. Whatever they say, I never shit on the floor of guest jeans. That was a nasty rumor that was being spread by the surveillance cameras at guest jeans. Part of the reason Donna was on board with the Terre Haute Bathroom Club was uh, <laughs> she had this new boyfriend, see, she was living with at the time. His name was Trey with that, you know, fancy little E. You know, I thought that was so impressive. So uh, cosmopolitan. I really wanted to impress him, you know, especially being this little Midwestern girl. We met when he was an airline pilot and I an airline stewardess. Did, uh... <laughs> Did uh, she tell you guys that uh, that Trey threw her out of a plane? She tell you? You know, I just thought that the customers were really curt and rude, and they would hit that button, and they didn't care if I was sitting down or not. You know, come here, come here. I'm a passenger. I want a ginger ale. I want to drink a hundred beers. Very rude. She was actually the first person on the don't fly list. It used to be an actual list, you know. It started with her. One, Donna Dalla. Then it continued, you know. 
Apparently that was her first and last day on the job. She apparently bit like a dozen people. It doesn't sound like a lot, but honestly, you go anywhere and start biting people, they'll restrain you by five or six. If you think about it that way, that's a lot more impressive. You know, Trey was having a really bad day. Apparently the plane had hit a couple geese or something. But, you know, he did the sweetest thing then. He knew how bad the customers were getting to me, so he just comes out from the cockpit, he pulls me off of the crowd, he puts a parachute on me, and he throws me out of the plane. I remember thinking as I was falling that that was just the sweetest thing. When I landed, you know, I figured out where he lived, and I just kind of moved my stuff in. He was resistant at first, but I won him over. Part of the reason that I won him over was by exaggerating certain things about myself. If you're gonna bend my arm about it, I told him that I never have to go number two. I won't tell you what a number two is though, a lady never tells. But here's a hint, number one is peeing. So Donna goes all in with me implying on this public bathroom kick that we're on. And you know, within, what, two months, we had a full map of Terra Hawk complete within the location and schedule of every public bathroom. We'd all go do our weird little fringe activities during the day and night and gather info, and then we would meet up at exactly 6 o'clock at the library, and we would trade notes and consolidate them into the Big Master Notebook. This naturally drew some attention, just one by one people started asking us questions. You know, most people thought it was really immature, but a lot of people really liked the idea. That's when we made the Terra Hot Bathroom Club official. Gotta have some sweetness, though. A hot tip. A little cold hard cash. Maybe a tip about a basement bathroom and a little used civic building that hasn't been checked every day. Even after no one was staking out my apartment, I just. I just didn't spend that much time at it. It was about the thrill of the hunt. Tracking, skulking around town, sneaking all over the place keeping a handful of sand in your pockets at all times so that you can throw it at a security guard if he asks, what are you doing in here? Oh, yeah. I got off to it. <laughs> I got off to it big time. I think the first to join was little Carmine. Carmine was a little guy, middle management type, with a haircut that looked like the big boy mascot. You know, that awful big-headed cartoon child that carries hamburgers? Carmine was a cool guy. Wore suits. You could tell he was a, a cut above the rest of us. Not the type to get his hands uh, dirty. Me? Metaphorically speaking and physically speaking, my fingers are fucking covered in nasty shit. Metaphorically, though, I mean in a highly sexual way. I guess they didn't really think about the physical filth would completely overshadow the metaphorical filth. I <laughs> guess I'm quite a unique thinker. I guess being hunted by, you know, dozens of husbands for, you know, half a year really messed with Bobby's head. <laughs> yeah, way more than we thought. He was paranoid, yeah, but he was more horny than he was paranoid. I think it was just that his hygiene definitely suffered, but that he seemed to be into it. I had met this awful woman. She was at a high school hockey game and she stood up on the wall to show her tits, but before she could, the referee threw a hockey puck at her in her stomach and uh, 
she threw up. Her name was Agenda, I, th I think. She went to the men's bathroom to throw up more because she said she got along with guys more than girls. I like that. I held her hair back for her, and after that, it was game over. <laughs> one time, we were making out, and one of my teeth fell out, and she accidentally swallowed it, and she thought that was the hottest thing that ever happened, so I leaned into it. Sorry if I stink, but I'm, I'm used to it. It gets me what I want. The last person to join that I considered a core group member of the Terra Hot Bathroom Club was Bobo. Bobo was a good kid. I, I, I never figured out what his deal was. Bobo. Lot of questions about that guy. Baby Huey type. Grown man with uh, two hairs on top of his head that stuck straight up like a large baby. Things would happen to this guy all the time that made you wonder about him, you know? It seemed like every single hour of fly that he was looking at would land on his nose and he'd go cross-eyed. He said, you know, which way did he go? Which way did he go a lot? So he makes some assumptions about the guy, you know, and I think we were all sitting there that day. We met him asking the same assumptions. He showed up, asked what we were doing, and we told him we were cataloging all the public bathrooms in the city. And he seemed into it. He was licking this large ice cream cone all the time. Food wasn't allowed in the library, by the way. I just think, like, you know, they just took one look at him and said, all right. He kept licking the ice cream cone too hard and making the scoop of ice cream fall off of the cone and onto the table. And then he would pick up the scoop with his hands, put it back on the cone, and do it again. So, you know, we meet him and stuff, and then he leaves, right? And we see him pulling away in a fucking in a fucking brand new 1979 Mazda RX-7 slick little red convertible long hood 1.1 liter engine curved in aerodynamic cherry red that car was a clit on wheels just needs a little flick to get going. We were just stunned to see Bobo, this guy we met who walked into the woman's bathroom twice on accident while we were there. We were just stunned to see him peel out of the parking lot in this fucking exotic brand new sports car. Then Bobby said something really disgusting. Compared the car to something I am far too classy to bring up, and we were speechless. It was a sick fucking car. We never figured out what his deal was. We knew he basically only ate chocolate and he constantly had a stomach ache, so that's why he joined. Um, we knew he lived in a more upscale style apartment that he never invited us to, and that he did have a day job as a person who tests cotton candy. I don't know if it was to see if it was safe or to give feedback, I don't know. Bobo never talked about himself much. He mostly like got hit in the head with flower pots all the time, and then the flower would wilt. He was that type of guy. He was more like a Looney Tune than a person. You know he never let me drive that car? He said it was because my driver's license was fake. It was fake. My name on it was Jonathan Tremendous Pleasure. But there's no way he could have known. I wanted to take it down to the 41 to pick up some community college girls at the travel stop and see what part of the upholstery 
this old, dry-aged dick would ruin with my brine. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. So basically, that was uh, the crew. People floated in and out, would meet up for a couple of weeks, or on and off, depending on the season. But, you know, that was the main crew, I guess. Bobby, Donna, you know, me, Bobo, sometimes Carmine. We had uh, one in particular. One bathroom that was... It was really the cat's pajamas. Meow. Now that was a bathroom. Three stalls. A urinal. Men in a woman's bathroom. Huge. Magazines. And they febrezed it so it smelled good. It was in a small annex building to the library in a private meeting room. Real intimate feel to it. Lots of exits. Like four exits in case things went south. (laughs) And not in an erotic way. That was our little paradise. I mean, it was nice. No exaggeration. You could have took your shoes off in that bathroom. Scrubbed her every morning. They scrubbed that real good. Scrubbed the sin right off so old Bobby Rue felt just fine. Bunions just kissing the cool linoleum floor. All right. So that was basically home base for us. I'd been through a lot in my life, but, uh... That one hurt when Mensa took that bathroom away from us. Hello, my name is Janine Johnson. I'm the local secretary in charge of Western Indiana Mensa. I have sat on the board for four non-for-profits, have over 20 years of management experience at a Fortune 500 company. I have an executive MBA from Washington University. I'm the first woman with short hair to ever climb to the top of Mount Everest. I was the last civilian off who didn't make the cut for NASA Group 8 in 1978. They cut me because I wanted my spacesuit to have business lady shoulder pads. I've accomplished a lot, and you want to interview me about a Terra Hot bathroom club. Did you talk to Professor Glasses? Is she still, like, yelling at everybody? Let me guess. She yelled at you guys, right? I just wanted to make sure that it is what you wanted me to talk about and that you were proud of yourselves. Are you proud of yourselves? Don't want to ask me about anything else? Are you sure? In July 2004, I was with Blackwater in Afghanistan, and I became the first upper-middle-class woman to commit a war crime. Want to ask me about that? No? Are you sure? Just the bathroom stuff. Sure. Sure. Professor Glasses is like, Buh, I went to college. I'm smarter. I'm smarter than everybody. Listen to all the shit I did. Listen to my resume. I'm so prestigious. Guess what? We've all done stuff, bitch. I once got thrown out of a train by Bobby Flay. And if he would have given me another 10 seconds, he would have liked it. So I'm guessing Bobby and Donna aren't going to be any help on this. She probably keeps talking about that disgusting thing uh, that she tried to do to Bobby Flay. So uh, I guess I'll fill you in on the details from that night. I uh, get there around 5. I see that the annex door is locked and that there's a sign behind the glass that said, you know, reserved. Well, I didn't even know the place could be reserved and it never had been before, so I, you know, I went to the front desk to check it out. 
1980, the Unitarian Church Annex that we had been renting our weekly meeting space and testing from had a small fire that required a renovation. I looked elsewhere for a suitable location and found that the local library had a slot in their annex buildings for Fridays and Saturdays. I informed our treasurer, who in turn booked the annex for a rental period of one year on Fridays and Saturdays. That's it. Front desk lady told me it got rented out by, you know, some club. I said, what club? She said, Mensa. You know, they're a bunch of smart people. And they like to meet up and talk with other smart people. So I said, you know, when are they done? And she said they got all night. And I said, well, damn, you know, I guess I'll come back tomorrow. And she said they got tomorrow, too. I said, damn, you know, well, I really like that bathroom. So I told the lady, all right, I'm going to join the club. They probably won't even notice me. You know, I probably won't even leave the bathroom. And then she said, you can't join the club. She says, you got to take a test to join the club. And so I said, sign me up. And she says, she's just a librarian and I should, you know, go talk to them. So I said, fair enough. Me and Bobby walk by and see Pliny in the main building talking to the, um, what are those called? They work at the library. They sit behind that desk. The, like, book secretary or whatever, book janitor. Like, grocery stores have stockers or shelvers, but for the books, it has its own word. It's um, not authors, though. I see Pliny at the front desk, and I uh, flash a little smile. I think, oh, you dirty dog. You're finally taking my advice and trying to slip that gritty, loamy dick into some dried-up book lady scoos. <laughs> anyway, Bobby starts getting all horny when he sees Pliny talking to the librarian. He just starts doing these low, growling moans of his and licking his lips pretty fast. <sighs> I was excited to see Pliny start taking more sexual initiative, and that got me you know, thinking about sex that I could have, and though that's all I could think about. The thing about Pliny, what strikes me about him sexually is two things. He seems like a guy who can only come if he's on all fours like a dog in that. Um, this one, I'm certain of, his cum would make a woman very, very sick wanted to figure out more before letting Donna and Bobby know because I didn't want them to cause a scene, you know, and get us all banned from the library. You know, so I made up a little lie to keep them busy for the next two nights. Pliny told us that Sammy Hagar and Guy Fieri were hanging out at a Ruby Tuesday and that they were going to have a tit contest. Now, a tit contest is where two men bet on how many tits they can suck in one night, and you better believe I was heading down there. At first, I thought he was making it up. Bobby Rue wouldn't miss a tit contest for the world. If a tit contest gets serious enough, women just assume you're a part of it. And sometimes you get some sucking in before they realize you aren't Sammy Hagar. You know, that got rid of him pretty quick. But it actually turned out that night that Sammy Hagar and Guy Fieri were there. And that, you know, coincidentally, they, you know, they were having a tit contest. Guy Fieri sucked my tit just one, and then he took a drink from a milkshake real quick and pretended that sucking my tit gave him a milk mustache. It was funny. Not a dry eye in the house. None of the chicks there bought my lie about being the drummer in Hagar's new band, mostly because I couldn't remember the name of the band and guessed Pussy Party. 
Uh, but I, I did convince a girl that I lost all feeling in my left hand in Iraq, and she agreed to sit on it as long as I stopped talking to her. But I felt it all. Oh, I felt everything. So, you know, I bought a day and some change with, you know, Bobby and Donna out of the way. And I got to work on this whole, you know, Mensa Annex thing. So, you know, they get out of there. I snuck into the bathroom when their meeting started and I, you know, just tried to blend in. So on the very first meeting we had at the Annex, everything seemed fine. We ran through the last minute meetings, new members, and then this bizarre looking man shambled out of the bathroom. He put his hands in his pockets and started whistling and sat down. Kind of like how, like how people would act inconspicuous in a cartoon. He kind of looked like a human Hanna-Barbera drawing. Like an older shaggy with a little bit of scrappy dude DNA. So I asked him who he was and if he had signed in yet. You know, I played it cool. I had an alibi and everything. You know, she hands me the form, and you know, I sign it, and I, I hand it right back. He had signed it as Professor Big Time, and while he clearly wasn't in Mensa, he was wearing what appeared to be mesh shoes, and one of his toenails had clearly cut through the mesh and reached fresh air. He had a mushroom growing out of his left ear. He did have a really nice pocket watch, though. His pockets on his board shorts had holes in it, though, so he tucked it into his underwear. I really didn't know how to place that. You know, she does the whole, you know, I don't see your name on our registrar, you know. She plays the game. She knows I'm not supposed to be there. And, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be there, but she doesn't want to say it. So I'm just stretching for more and more time, you know, making stuff up. Pretty believable stuff, honestly. I was doing quite well. He said that he was a phrenology professor at Hamburger University. I asked him to leave. So I said, you know, all right, all right, you got me. I'm not Professor Big Time, but I do want to join your organization. So sign me up and you can continue. Well, she says, I got to take the test. So I said, okay, I'll take the test. She says, you got to take the test tomorrow. I said, okay, I'll wait till then. She said, you can't wait you know, until then. So I said, that's fine. I'll just go into the, you know, wait into the bathroom. And she says, why would you want to hang out in the bathroom all night? And that's when I just freaked out, and I sprinted as fast as I could out of the room. He was being weird and obstinate, but the second I asked him why he wanted to spend so much time in the bathroom, he just starts freaking out. I'm not exaggerating. It was an old-school freakout, just flipping tables, knocking stuff on the floor, just screaming this single monotone, ah, without even breathing. pretty apparent that what we had was some kind of elderly, unstable, bathroom-obsessed man in our midst. For about 30 seconds, he screamed, flipped a table, poured a bunch of soda on his head, and just made gestures at the bathroom door. It was weird. You know, I, I sent Donna and Bobby away because I, you know, I didn't want this very thing happening. So I was, you know, as I was freaking out, I was feeling, I was feeling a bit low, you know? I get it all out of my system and I, you know, sprint for the door to leave with my dignity intact. And, you know, that's uh, when she did it. That's when uh, she made an enemy for life. 
Look, I don't recall what I said to the old man after he freaked out and left. No. When Pliny told me what uh, Professor Glasses said, man, I, uh, listen, I told Pliny how it is. I'm a crazy fringe type of person, see. Let's get her. I'll put lye in my fingernails and scratch her up. I'll swallow acid and spit it at her. I'll chew her up. No trick to it. I'll chew her up. It's easy. I'll chew her up with my teeth. I'll fuck her car. I'll start a chemical fire in her house. Electrical fire. Whatever. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll set traps anywhere. Everywhere. Nail guns ripped up to a, a tripwire. That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I was stunned. I mean, who does that? Who says that to a person? She, uh... She... She called me, uh... She said I was immature. She said hanging out in toilets is immature. It... It cut me really deep. I wanted to kill her. Can I say that? Is that legal to admit? I did. I tried to, even. Couldn't find her house. I, uh... Following her home by uh, sketching on her car, you know, with my skateboard. Um, she slammed on the brakes once or twice to try to get rid of me, but I held on. And she, uh, she got on the freeway and really, you know, flying, going like a hundred miles an hour. I was, uh, I was wearing these loose fitted clothes, stuff I was into at the time. Real loose, billowy, button-up shirts, you know, Zubas. Sort of became like a big parachute, and she was going so fast that all of a, all of a sudden, before I knew it, I'm just flying through the air, you know, up in an updraft, going over 100 miles per hour. And uh, I know it sounds crazy. I mean, completely unbelievable, unrealistic, like uh, seems like a Looney Tune bit, but it is what it is. And I, uh, I eventually just sort of landed in the bed of this truck filled with straw for uh, chickens, I think. And uh, when I landed, I stuck my head up, and one of the chickens laid, laid an egg on my head. And I understand if you don't believe me, it's, it's childish even as far as lies go. Only real logical if you are inside a cartoon, but it is what it is, like I said. That's how mad I got. You know, I, I don't... You don't call a Terra Hot Bathroom Club member immature. It's an attack on all of us. I had thought, surely, that was the last I would be seeing of them. You know? It is really immature to have a bathroom club, though, right? From what I understand, they all have houses. They have houses with bathrooms in them. Why are they so fixated on public restrooms? And why are they so insistent on using the one that's in an annex building that Mensa uses? It almost doesn't make any narrative sense at all, even. It's almost completely all ridiculous and fabricated, right? Well, you know, after that first run, I went home to uh, lick my wounds. I thought long and hard about what my next move was, and it just, you know, kept gnawing at me. Mensa, you know, just the club for, like, smart guys who think they were more smarter than me. But what if I proved that I was more smarter than them? And how could I prove more smart? Me the most smartest for sure, but how? That's when it all clicked. 
I called an emergency meeting for the next morning. Only Bobo showed up. I guess Bobby and Donna did some nasty stuff with Sammy Hagar or something and couldn't make it. Donna woke up in Sammy Hagar's car, which I guess is shaped like a surfboard. So I said, you know, maybe tomorrow. And, you know, they said, okay. You know, and the next day they showed all up, you know. You know, and I looked at, uh, you know, Donna, Bobby, and Bobo. And I said, you know, Bobo, you're getting into Mensa. And then a butterfly landed on his nose. I mean, it was a solid plan. The first step was to hook Bobo up with the Bobby spy guy. I never knew what for or why Bobby had a spy, but he had a spy. Yeah, I would ask Bobby, like, why do you even have a spy? And he would just grin, you know? I asked if it was a sexual thing, and he just grinned even bigger. And then, well, I was, well, you know, I was a little scared, so, you know, I wanted to clarify, you know, is it safe? You know, I asked him, is this safe? Is everyone safe? And uh, then he just grinned even bigger than before. So, you know, that's when I learned to stop asking Bobby questions. He's a pretty good spy. Real James Bond type. Can get in anywhere. Oh, I mean, he's good. He's good at what he does. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. Makes everyone really jealous that I have a spy. (laughs) It made me incredibly uncomfortable to realize that Bobby had a spy, because I realized when he brought him in is that Bobby's spy was actually... um, Well, he might not have been a guy I dated in the past, because he told me that his name was James Bond Jr. And now I probably realize that was a fake name and that Bobby was just spying on me. Anyway, Bobby's spy hooked us up with these big fake Coke bottle glasses with cameras in them, earpieces, audio surveillance equipment, you know, big old listening horns, shoes that have mirrors on the top of them so you can see everything more better, pens that take video, stuff like that. We rigged up Bobo head to toe in spy shit. He looked fucked up. Those glasses made his eyes look huge. He looked like a baby Huey pressed up against a fishbowl. Next Saturday morning, that came around. We enrolled Bobo into the Mensa test, and we were going to beat it. My name is Grant Codd. I oversee the Western Indiana Mensa chapter. I am a graduate student at Indiana State University getting my master's in public administration, after which I hope to become a city manager or policy analyst. Originally, I had hoped to enter the political realm and run for political office, but, uh... I have been informed by multiple people, sometimes on the same day, multiple times, that I do not possess the acumen or ability to be charismatic to anyone in almost any way. Well, the testing guy knew my face, so I was out of the operation. You know, I positioned myself in the main library at one of the desktop computers. The plan was, you know... I I was just going to Google everything I saw through Bobo's spy glasses and whisper it into this earpiece so he could write down the right answer. It was my job to introduce myself to the test giver. He was a lumpy, odd little guy. We all called him Captain Spock because he reminded us of that famous nerd, Spock. Donna screwed it up from the get-go. She was supposed to offer the guy hand stuff straight from the jump. Donna didn't like the plan, I get it, but technically, she did agree with it initially. No one just wants to jump straight into hand stuff. Like, from soft to hand stuff. That would be so awkward for most guys, right? Like, even though they want to get with me because I'm hot as shit or whatever, like, 
there still has to be a little, a little dance, a little seduction. It's way too brazen to just walk up to some nerd and go, can I give you hand stuff? Seriously, that was their plan. Hand stuff would have worked. Uh, yeah, I do think the hand stuff would have worked. Listen, director, ask Captain Spock if it would have worked, okay? Ask him if she walked up to him and said, do you want some hand stuff? Would you have let her do it? Ask him that, please. Uh, since I have already given up on running for public office, I guess I can just say yes. If she had followed me into the bathroom or something, if it was off the library floor, yes, probably. I wouldn't be proud of it. I wouldn't tell anyone. But yes, I would have allowed it to happen. They didn't even tell me why I was supposed to do that. They didn't mention any documents he had or any specific reason why I was supposed to do that. It was a dumb plan. Uh... No, I actually, I, yeah, I don't remember why she was, huh. I don't remember why she was supposed to do that. Why? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought it put him in a good mood so he'd grade easier. Okay, I, I don't care what he said. Why would it make it easier? We were already cheating on the answers to the test. What I remember from that day is we had two potential members taking the test. These tests have been overseen pretty rigidly. No uses of any technological devices, no talking, limited bathroom breaks. These tests can only be taken once. There is no redo. So I get there early, like 10.30 or so, and I go to the library to check in and get let into the annex. First thing that happens is a woman comes in and starts talking to me. She said, you look pretty strong. I said, thank you, ma'am, but maybe you should get your eyes checked. She said, wow, you're a genius. And I said, well, I don't know about that. And then she said, you are pretty hot for an egghead. I said, thank you, ma'am. She said, don't call me, ma'am. Call me Donna. I said, okay, Donna, my name is Grant. She said, I don't care what you're called, but I know a great piece of meat when I see one. I said, thank you, ma'am. I mean, thank you, Donna. She said, I bet you eggheads are really good with the ladies because you know where all the ladies' buttons are. I said, I don't know what you mean. She said, all the different G-spots. I said, what's a G-spot? Then she said it was in her jean shorts. I said, thank you, Donna, for teaching me about G-spots. She said, oh, Jesus Christ, man, don't you get it? I said, get what? And then she said, I forgot why I'm even trying to get you all horny and stuff. I said, thank you for trying that, to do that to me, I mean, Donna. She said, do you have to go to the bathroom? I said, no, thank you. Then she said I should go anyway. And then she said, fuck it, never mind. I'm gonna go jack someone else. I said, thank you. And then she left. I was running chaos operations at the time. That's what I called it when I clambered on the roof, stomping on it, trying to scare people and mix stuff up. If at any time Bobo was about to get found out, I was going to go flying through the skylight to extract him. We were uh, all in position. Uh, Bobo pulls up in his 1979 Mazda RX-7. I tell you, that thing was flying. He came in swerving, sliding right up to the curve, going like 30 in the parking lot. It was far out, man. Yeah, I saw that from the roof. Bobo's like the protagonist from Grand Theft Auto 3 if he had permanent cauliflower ear and 120 vision. That car, though. Oh, like a little jet turbo field dog dick darting around town. 
blowing its little dog jizz everywhere. I immediately sit him down and I, you know, start jamming stuff into Bobo's ear, putting these big glasses on him. Had like a backpack full of batteries on the back with all the wires. He's not fighting back. He knows the plan. You know, I'm running wires from the glasses to the backpack, throwing in a Bluetooth. I don't know whatever spy shit, you know, Bobby Spy got. You know, we head to the computer. We do a couple checks. Things seem to be working good. I can see it. And, you know, I can see what he sees. It's all set up to go. You know, I was uh, having a lot of fun, to be honest. I, you know, I felt like a, the hacker in Ocean's Eleven, not Iron Man's friend, uh, the Jewish one. Well, I don't know if it's ever said he's Jewish in the movie, but like, ah, come on, man. Can you cut this if it's bad? But if it isn't bad, could you just leave it in? So I'm sitting on the roof for a few minutes, just waiting. Then I see Donna come up, walking out of the annex. It's hard to look at a woman and tell if she just jacks somebody or not. Women are deceptive by nature. It's, uh, it's part of sexual evolution. Women don't want to broadcast their sexual activities for fear that it would lower their sexual value. So looking at her, I couldn't tell if she jacked the guy off or not because of the inherent deception and penchant for her trickery that all women were born with. You know, I was working as fast as I could to get, you know, Bobo ready for the test. And I don't know how, but Bobby has tapped into our audio and I can hear everything he's saying. He tells us Donna left the annex and her hands appeared dry, you know. So I started rushing faster and faster, just testing everything real quick. And the whole time he's going on one of those, you know, misogynistic rants that he likes to go on so much. I saw him up on that building and I'm frustrated already, you know, because the guy was like a mannequin. He just froze up. And then I was like even more frustrated because I don't even know why this was my job. You know, I should have been the one taking the test to join Mensa. And then this asshole on the roof yells something and I can't make out exactly what, but I can just look at Bobby's body language and tell he's going on another misogynist rant. So I'm like, okay, okay, I got you. Maybe I got my own plan in this little thing after all. I just pushed Bobo into the annex. You know, I, I thought it was a good plan, and I, you know, I wanted to see it through. After the woman that talked about jacking me off but didn't left, I was pretty confused. We only had two people signed up to take the test, and most of the time, uh, the people that sign up to take it don't even show up. So I was expecting to sit on my phone and watch a bunch of YouTube videos of animals of different species being friends with each other. But then this really big guy walks up and he's wearing these big glasses and this backpack and you know, his back is covered in wires. And I immediately thought, you know, this guy looks like the real deal to me. This guy looks like a genius. With glasses that big? You gotta be kidding me. Well, Bobo goes through the door, right? And then the guy doing the test was just like, you know, he was way nicer than I anticipated. He said, you know, oh, you must be here for the test. Hello, I'm sure it won't be a problem for you. Have a seat. Do you need anything? Any water? I'm looking forward to you joining us. You know, he asked him what he thinks of standardized testing, and I don't even know what that is. So I told Bobo to scoff and say it is what it is. We had a pretty good conversation about academia and higher education in general. I waited about 15 minutes to see if the other person would show up, and they didn't, so we got started. I noticed something was unique about that man right away. He was writing so feverishly and passionately that he broke his pencil after pencil. I was watching through the skylight. 
we hit a hitch in the plan because Bobo wiped a bunch of peanut butter on his glasses. So, you know, immediately in my head, I gave up. You know, like, if you're going to have these big plans, it sucks when they don't work out. And I don't want to be disappointed. So when I see the glasses were messed up with the peanut butter, I just, I looked at the parking lot and I saw a single mother and I just jumped off the roof into a bush so I could go talk to her and get to know her a little bit more better, you know? During the test, I did notice some odd behavior, but I just assumed it was odd behavior that, uh, you know, like, like geniuses do. Like when they talk about geniuses in movies, they're always like, uh, talking to themselves or peeing in jars. Sometimes people are so smart that they see equations floating around in the air while they were just thinking. Uh, I thought that was happening with Bobo. I still don't buy it. I don't think he cheated on the test. He kept saying, sorry, I'm hungry, I'm bored, my glasses hurt, me hungry, I need to take a number two, stuff like that. Thought he was beautiful minding. My bad. We did not hear about the young man talking during his test, no. We didn't hear about any of the other suspicious stuff that um, Grant somehow missed. He tried to explain it to me that he thought that the man was beautiful minding, but I didn't know what that meant. I told Janine that I thought he was beautiful minding, and she said that's not a thing. I said, have you seen the movie? She said, yeah. I said, with the equations and stuff? And she said, so what? So I said, that's what I thought he was doing. And she said, seeing equations? And I said, yeah. And she said, no, those were digital effects. I said, yeah, I know, but he actually saw them. And she said, how do you know? And to be honest, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I didn't know that he saw equations. I just thought, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. That that would be a cool thing that would happen. I had never really analyzed it, you know? Well, so Bobby jumps off the roof, you know, mid-misogynistic rant. You know, he had actually finished the first misogynistic rant, and he was cool for a minute, and then he started a whole new one. I think it was about, like, how women don't respect power anymore. I I'm not sure. He just kept saying, it is natural for women to want to taste the lash. I was like, shut up, man, and he jumped off the roof. Could have just, like, taken the stairs, but he says he's good with, uh, you know, the bush thing. Nowadays, he calls it Assassin's Creeding. I, I don't know what that means. I didn't see Bobby all week after that, so I, I thought he was mad at me. I got a report from Grant via email right after that notified us that we had a new member of Mensa, Bobo. I didn't think much of it at the time. So we finished the test. Bobo was done in like, you know, 30 minutes. I was really impressed. He scored really high. There was only one really weird thing. Uh, even though he wrote everything normally, he only signed his name with an X. Kind of like how illiterate men did like 150 years ago. That was odd, but again, beautiful minding. I was pretty locked into thinking this guy was beautiful minding. I had just watched Beautiful Mind the night before. I added Bobo to our roster for the meeting next Saturday, and that was that. I was a little confused as to why Bobo had no last name, which I thought would be something easier to clarify in person. Having one name, I considered that they were either a guru or a share type person. Like a share or a prince or Tiesto? I was excited to see what Bobo would bring to the table at our meetings. New blood was always exciting. Bono. I guess Bono counts. Adele. Beck. Beck is one. Sinbad, if you remember him. Liberace. 
Hammurabi. Now, if you want to go way back, Hammurabi. I don't think we even invented last names yet, so I'm not actually sure if he counts. Confucius, I think it was the same thing going on there. Sting, remember Sting? And Fergie, too. I think there are two Fergies, though. Since it's all wrapped up, I start packing up my stuff and cleaning up, getting ready to leave. I start walking to my car, and up rushing up in front of me is the Jacker woman. You know, the one from earlier, who came in and said stuff about the bathroom, and trying to make me horny and stuff, and then uh, got mad at me, I think. I had this elaborate plan where I was going to actually take the test and prove I was smart enough to join without cheating. I'm not dumb. I'm not a dumb person. Do you think a dumb person could get a restraining order from Neil deGrasse Tyson? Uh, I was leaving, so I said testing was over. Also, she didn't sign up. So she said, actually, you were waiting for someone and that person was me. And so I said, what's your name? And then she paused and looked at me for a really long time. I was looking at her, she was looking at me, and she was just kind of quiet. Then she said, Sarah. So I said, earlier you said your name was Donna. And she said, it's also Sarah. So I said, okay. And then she just sighed and started reaching for my belt buckle. She started undoing my belt buckle, you know, out in front of the library, you know, next to the parking lot. And I said, what are you doing? This is the middle of public. And she said, well, I'm not going to a second location with a guy like you. There's no way I'm going to your sparse, depressing apartment. And uh, that hurt my feelings. Uh, I didn't even want to get jacked anymore. You know, a guy like that, you know, back then, was probably like Thundercats and Dungeons and Dragons stuff, He-Man. Even if you look at modern nerds, or even like 90s nerds, you know, you know those guys at least tried to have a single hobby that women might also like? But no one hated pussy like 80s nerds did. It was all swords and cartoons and just awful. 80s nerds make nerds now look like Peter North. There was no way I was going to see what his twin bed looked like. Oh, obviously my apartment is very depressing. I don't even sleep on a twin bed. I sleep on a wrestling mat on the floor because of a back thing. I don't have to defend myself, though. I don't have to explain myself to anyone, especially a woman in a sequin denim vest who is trying to masturbate me in the middle of the street. At that point, someone who worked for the library came out with a hose and started spraying me. Well, us. I caught the worst of it. Yeah, but they got him too. I understand the library's decision to spray me with the hose. We live in a society with rules. The hose was warranted. I just shamefully slunk off, you know, classic dog posture, head low. My car was parked there, but I just left it and ran home. That's the last I saw of the gang until a week later. We made it so Bobo was going to sneak into the Mensa meeting where we would get revenge. You know, revenge for them calling Pliny, um, what'd she call him? I can't remember what it was, but I do remember the feeling it gave me, which is that I wanted revenge. I didn't see Bobby or Donna all week. They just kind of went off the grid. It's not that unusual. One time, Bobby just got caught in the sewer system and couldn't figure out how to get out. And Donna gets a bunch of free flights from her pilot boyfriend, and then they get into a fight, and he abandons her in, like, Fort Worth or something, and she's got to take, like, a two-day bus trip to get back. It happens. It was supposed to be a normal meeting. We were going to discuss adding a small lecture series to our weekly meetings that would be given by a different member each week. 
Topics would range from physics to biology to political theory to history, extremely focused and nuanced discussions on relevant topics, futurism, the emerging computer market, globalism, colonialism. That's the kind of stuff we talk about. We don't discuss bathrooms, finding bathrooms, hanging out in the bathroom, crapping, pooping. We're a collection of geniuses who have paid to join a club for geniuses, and we talk about stuff for geniuses. And we have all these titles and these PhDs and these awards for civic service. And we look at those and we look at each other and we all tell each other just how accomplished we are, how many great things we have done, and how smart we all are. Sure, no one ever consults with us, you know, like the president doesn't go like, hold on, what does Mensa think about this or anything, but you know, they could if they just called us. If they ever got on the horn and, you know, wanted to know what we thought about nuclear disarmament or whatever, just one phone call away. Or even Congress or something. If they wanted to talk to them or whatever, we would do it. We would answer the phone, even the news, even the local news. I don't know why they don't ask us anything. Like, honestly, we're an organization of geniuses. We talk about stuff like Voltaire and no one cares, no one cares. That's so impressive. We talk about Voltaire in our free time. Can you even imagine? And these fucking dogs, they're lower than animals. They are subhuman. And you make a documentary about them. A documentary on the bathroom, guys. And we are what, the villains? Because we're smart. And we're mad that no one is like fucking thanking us for being so smart, that we aren't in Congress talking about smart shit and then everyone just applauds. You should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. Well, that Friday was uh, the big moment, the, the meeting. I met up with uh, Bobo beforehand and there was a you know problem. Bobo hadn't taken off the spy stuff since I last saw him. You know, he'd been wearing an earpiece, the glasses, the backpack full of batteries. You know, the other stuff the whole week. And it had gotten so hot from constantly running, you know, it melted. And uh, I think it made Bobo pretty sick. He couldn't see anything because of how thick the glasses were. So, you know, I took out a hard drive, you know. And I realized it was just a week of watching Bobo's life. And just, you know, I lost the footage. It didn't hold. And no one believes me. But Bobo is basically constantly fucking the most beautiful woman women I had ever seen constantly they just show up at his door he just constantly got the easiest and most high quality sex I had ever seen in my life I guess the battery ran hot and he had it on while he slept some wires melted the fumes stuck up the room he showered with it on I think he was he was in rough shape his eyes were red he couldn't breathe he could barely talk I had to do you know some quick thinking you know I had a plan I decided you know may I, we're gonna weekend at Bernie's it and by that I mean I was just gonna put sunglasses on him I can't lift him up or anything I guess it's not really a plan yeah I just gave him sunglasses the meeting starts I ask our new member to introduce himself he kind of waves it off Grant says he isn't feeling well and we should just move along so I say, okay, and I move it along. We start handling some of the more boring business, you know, nothing too exhilarating, you know. Yeah, uh, Bobo looked quite sick, um, which scared me. I don't know if you've seen A Beautiful Mind, but yeah, it ends with him not doing so hot. So I started to get pretty scared for the guy. 
I was having difficulties talking to Bobo because he was just not responsive, you know, and we had this whole plan. And now on top of that, like Bobby and Donna didn't show up and I was like, wow, man, this is a big waste of time. I'm the only, I'm the only one in on this, you know? And then things started to get weird. Bobo really perked up when the guest speaker started. They were a food scientist discussing McDonald's and the problems with fast food. And you know, all of a sudden Bobo gets this steely, sagely look in his eyes. And he's asking all these questions, almost leading the conversation. And his knowledge of the fast food process with, you know, genius. I was very happy with the new member at that point. Bobo displayed a real wealth of knowledge regarding modern fast food science. He knew all about the process of treating the lean beef scraps with ammonia, forming the pace, the wealth of antibiotics, the types of antibiotics, potassium sorbate, food additives, food coloring. It was a long conversation. We actually went 15 minutes over the allotted time. The only odd thing though, at the end everyone was in agreement, saying they would never eat at McDonald's again. And Bobo looked personally hurt by that. He kept saying, why, why? He got visibly depressed. He started slumping. And just then, some awful woman kicks open the door and starts yelling about jacking some guy and post pointing at Grant. I had to take a bus from Fort Worth all the way back to Terre Haute. But it ran through Daytona Beach, so I stayed there for a few days. You know, a super tramp was in town and I was trying to get jacked in so I could have a kid and stuff. I wanted to trap them, you know, legally to me, financially. But when I got back, I was seething with anger. I wanted revenge. That nerd that I was trying to jack basically screwed me over by not getting jacked by me. So I wanted to cause a scene. Yeah, Donna comes in. I only got audio at that point. She's screaming about jacking and screaming about super tramp, stuff like that. She kept saying that one of the nerds cheated on him or cheated on her or something. Honestly, I don't know what she was trying to say. I said, you know, this little nerd here said that if I ever jacked him off, he'd put me in Mensa. And I did it, and I'm not in Mensa. And he goes, you never jacked me, and I never said that. I said, don't lie for all these people. He goes, I'm not lying. You grabbed my belt, and we got sprayed with the hose. But I never think he actually even touched any of the stuff. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, you didn't jack me. And I said, oh. And I thought for a second. And then I said, you would have let me in Mensa if I would have jacked you, right? And he said, probably not. And then the mean lady, Professor Glasses, says, probably? And I'm like, stay out of this, bitch. This is my man. And he says, I'm not your man. And I said, oh? This woman just stood there in like, I'm not kidding, head to toe, white denim, just staring blankly at Grant. He didn't know who this woman was, so I very politely asked her to leave. When Janine asked her to leave, Donna just turned to her and just said, Is this bitch the one you're cheating on me with? And I said, No, we aren't together. Me or you. Or me or her. So, you know, no one's had sex with me. No one's jacked me. So I feel like I shouldn't be in this situation. You know, at this point, I think Bobo was still festering about the McDonald's thing. And the mood of the room changed when Donna entered it, which which is normal. But I think uh, Bobo felt 
you know, too much negativity. You know, so he starts screaming, McDonald's, just stuff like that, and he's flipping tables. And he's a big guy. He's strong. He's all core strength, no glamour muscle. His torso is just like a big elbow. He's solid. You know, so I, I abandon my post. I rip it I start running in there to de-escalate. At this point, with one woman screaming about jacking it, and another, larger man flipping tables, I headed for the exit. I was stopped by one of the most ghoulish sights I had ever seen. A week prior, when I uh, jumped off the roof because I was bored, I missed the bush. You know, I really botched it. It was like two stories tall, and uh, even though I'm young enough to get the job done and old enough to know what I'm doing, if you catch my drift, um, I'm not as young as I used to be. So later on, doctors would tell me that I had shattered both of my ankles and my kneecaps and the entirety of my right arm. And when I fell, I didn't want anyone to know I botched it, so I crawled under the bush so no one would see me. Then I got lightheaded and I fell asleep. I think I wrote the dragon of infection and blood loss for about a week straight, constantly coming in and out of consciousness, you know, seeing my actual life flash before my eyes, that kind of thing. The second I got the strength to stand, I did. I just headed into the annex, and all of those nerds were right there. A very bloody and broken man who just looked like old hamburger meat from head to toe, he just stops, and he looks me up and down. He's just sizing me up. I froze. It was horrid. And he slipped into this sick, little, disgusting, sly smile looking right at me. A bone in his leg was out, and you could, like, he was a guy with mold on him. He had mold on his body, like fuzzy teal mold. And with his one working arm, he struggles down to start, you know, grabbing his genitalia. I saw this lady, Professor Glasses, and I, uh, you know, something kicked in instinctually. I realized I hadn't had sex in over a week, and yes, well, I did need medical attention badly and could quite very easily die during any type of sex. Um, my primary need won out over my animalistic survival mechanisms. Oh yeah, I wanted her. I don't know if medically my dick could get hard or not, but it'd still do something. So I just slid off one of my killer lines. So this zombie-looking man walks through the door and he's covered in mold, you know, like he's bread or something. And he grabs his dick and asks Janine if she wants to take a ride on the bobby copter. And she says, what? And he says, the bobby copter. And she goes, excuse me? And he says, do you want to take a ride on the bobby copter? And she goes, who's bobby? And he immediately starts throwing up a lot and it is dark colored throw up which I'm not a doctor but that uh, that has to be a bad sign you know I I burst through the door then and there's Bobby he's throwing up blood you know is you know other colors were in there too you know I guess he was throwing up like all four humors you know yellow red black and um you know it looked like a good amount of baja blast so like teal teal humor you know, Bobo's flipping table. Donna's sunburnt as hell, and she's just yelling, focused, you know, so focused on Janine. She starts grabbing her by the hair and spinning her around, which is her main move in a fight if the woman doesn't have earrings. 
I get attacked by a badly sunburnt woman in head-to-toe white denim, and she starts pulling my hair. I attempt to push her away, and when I'm doing this, I accidentally grab her big hoop earrings. I was just trying to get away. I guess Janine and Donna started fighting over me or something. Um, this really old, crusty guy barges in and heads straight for Bobo. He's stripping him of his backpack, and I see all these wires and cameras and all this stuff that's on Bobo, and I start putting the pieces together. See, in a beautiful mind, he thought he was working for the CIA when he wasn't. He was just schizophrenic. But what I didn't realize is that Bobo must be smarter than the beautiful mind guy because he actually does work for the CIA. So I immediately attack the old man, thinking that he is some sort of counter-spy. It was a real big mess. Like the parking lot of the Daytona 500, but with a tiny bit more puke and blood and way less jean shorts. Let me tell you something. A man who is unafraid of hanging out in urinals can have a lot of low-quality sex at the Daytona 500. There was blood, vomit, broken furniture, earrings, hair, and other things tossed everywhere. People were mumbling about McDonald's, jizzing. The throwing up man was having some sort of horny memory out loud about the Daytona 500. He kept pretending to try to break up the fight between me and the other woman, when in reality he was basically just rubbing against us. His hands were both broken, and you could tell it put him in immense pain to touch us, but I think he was kind of leaning into the pain, like making it part of the sexual experience somehow. Grant was attacking an old man with a chair, and he actually got him pretty good in the head, and he was still talking about a beautiful mind and the CIA, I think. It was an absolute mess. I took a chair to the head pretty good, you know. But uh, I've been around the block a few times, so one chair is like, okay, buddy, sure, yeah, you got me. So I did what I usually did, and I just played dead. At this point, the library staff showed up and opened the door, and they started spraying everyone with the hose. I immediately ran. I had gotten a really fringed out and permed up haircut in Daytona Beach. I'd gotten it bleached pretty thoroughly, and the hairdresser basically told me that if any water touches my hair for the next three days, it would just turn into like a Play-Doh consistency permanently. I left the Terra Hot bathroom club that day. Just seems like it had run its course. I played dead through all the hosing. Basically a shower. Actually flipped over at one point and they got my back for me. They got a nice staff there. I actually got too horny trying to break up the fight, and I got physically aroused. The problem was that I didn't have enough blood left in my body to do so, so something in my physiology decided that uh, my penis needed the blood more than my brain did, and the second I got hard, I also passed out. I was in a coma for 10 years. While I was in uh, hospice care, you know, they soon discovered I would get deathly ill if I didn't, you know, uh, get taken care of in the genitalia region with some hand relief, if you get my drift. I was only in a coma for 10 years, but, uh, I faked it for another year because they were regularly jacking me off. Yeah, Bobo, me and him lost contact for a while. I heard he was doing IT stuff in Tulsa, and then a few years back he passed away. Uh, they said he got his head caught, uh, you know, in a banister and he was dead in under 15 minutes. Like, just one of those things, I guess. Our Mensa branch folded after that. We got banned from the library, you know, uh, all of us. Uh, it's, it's a little disappointing, actually. 
Not the Mensa stuff, but uh, you know, no one ever jacked me off. They talked about it a lot, but you know, no one ever jacked me. Whatever. Well, since Mensa was banned from the library, I guess, you know, I considered it a win. Cause and effect, you know, Professor Glasses calls me immature, so you know, what did I do? You know, I ruined our club by causing a bunch of people to freak out, you know, start being violent, puke, bleed everywhere, do weird, illegal, and immoral, you know, sex, you know, stuff like that. Now that I think about it, I guess that was kind of immature. We lost a lot of members. Western Indiana Mensa became absorbed into Central Indiana Mensa, and I lost my leadership secretary position. But everything, I guess, turned out okay. In the 90s, I got to take a picture shaking Bill Clinton's hand. You think any of those cave people ever got to do that? Bobby Rue emerged from his coma in 1993. He was shot in the torso in 1995 when he tried to climb on stage at a Lisa Loeb show in order to show her some of his lewd photography. He was in a coma for another 10 years until doctors realized he was faking it. Currently, he lives in Terre Haute where he owns a website that claims to be the Wikipedia of women's feet. Donna Dollop is currently living in New York City. She won a lawsuit against the Jordache Jeans Company in 1992 after her denim earrings got caught on a subway car and dragged her around the city for three days straight. She's currently living with her new boyfriend, Bill Clinton. Stu Bat currently lives with his wife in Terre Haute. He was briefly arrested by the FBI in 2016, a mix-up after it was revealed that a different group also named the Terre Haute Screaming Eagles had started up as a white nationalist militia slash esports streamer collective. Stu Bat was released shortly. He is not respected by his wife or children. Pliny still lives in Terre Haute. He currently lives in an old folks home. Other residents often complain that Pliny uses their bathrooms and goes through their stuff. Grant Codd finished grad school in the mid-80s. He worked in the Dukakis campaign for president in 1988, where he was described in the paper as a more unattractive and less charismatic George Stephanopoulos. He still has not been jacked off. Janine Johnson eventually became the leader of the Central Indiana Mensa in the early 90s. She worked at Monsanto, Raytheon, McDonnell, Douglas, and IBM. She currently works for a startup that connects consumers who want exotic meat with zoos who have aging animals. When you get older, you look at the enormity of your own life. You can hardly believe all the things you've done, the places you've been, the relationships you've had with people. You get a new perspective. If I could do it all over again, change one thing about my life well I wish I would have come more yeah that's it that's the only thing that ever really mattered to me far out